John chapter 6. Many of you may know I spent several years as a student pastor working with 6th to 12th grade students before moving to Utah and planning Church of the Valley. And during that time, I had a lot of parents looking to me, believing in me, and sometimes they were discouraged with me. And people frequently ask, what, what are some of the craziest moments or, or challenging moments uh, that you had in student ministry? And there's one in particular that, that always comes to mind. It was summer, and we had just gathered for our midweek gathering. And if you've ever been a part of a student ministry before, student ministry usually involves crazy games, kind of the, these fun icebreakers to kind of get everyone excited and try to figure out how to keep their attention for the next 30 minutes when you taught. And it's usually something fun, something crazy, something gross. Uh, we've done like the Happy Meal Challenge where you take a, a Coke, a burger, and fries, and you blend it all up, and it's first person to drink it. Doesn't that sound appetizing? Uh, these are what we do to change the, you know, see people's lives changed, right? We blend Happy Meals. And uh, on this particular day, I had gone out and I had purchased three cans of shaving cream, all right? So three cans of shaving cream, three cans of Barbasol, and decided we would take three of our intern staff, you know, people that we, we paid next to nothing to come and hang out with students, and we would take three students and we would take those three students and say, hey, you have two minutes, and your job in that two minutes is to cover your intern with as much shaving cream as you possibly can, and then we would vote as a student ministry who, who won, which student was able to do that in a matter of two minutes. And after two minutes, not only did the interns have shaving cream on them, but all 150, 200 students had shaving cream on them. And it was in that moment that I was like, wow, this really got out of hand. How in the world is there that much shaving cream in one can of Barbasol, right? I was shocked. And I began to think, how in the world am I going to get this cleaned up? And I'm, I'm thinking, and I look over, and the kids have a water hose, and they're just dousing themselves. And I'm thinking about these parents that are going to show up in 45 minutes. They're going to come picking up their kids. And so I'm handing out old camp t-shirts and trash bags, and I see parents pulling up, and they're just looking at me with disgust. And one parent actually sent me a bill to, to have the interior of their car cleaned. And I'm thinking, man, this is so challenging. Just a, three kids, three interns, and, we're, and everyone is going home. Parents are discouraged. Here's, here's the point. The point of this is don't underestimate how much shaving cream is in one can of Barbasol, all right? In a similar way, I want you to hear how can we so often underestimate the power of God to do so much with so little. I think about for, for my, my life, I, I have the head knowledge that believes in the power of God. But for some reason, when it comes to really asking God and believing God, there's, there's really a disconnect. I, I fail to believe that God can do so much with so little. And there's times in my life where I look back and I, I know God to be big. I know God to be strong. I know God to be powerful. I know God to be great. But I kind of underestimate it like the shaving cream, and I'm going, man, there's no way he can do that. And he blows my mind. And I'm thankful that he doesn't stay confined to this little box that Justin believes, that he works outside of that. And I think that's what we see in this text today. God can do so much with so little.
We can have the head knowledge, I believe God to be supreme, but the actions of my life prove otherwise. I've shared with, about this before. Uh, Tim Chester in his book, You Can Change, talks about there's a head knowledge, what the head knows, and heart knowledge, what the heart believes. And there's often a gap between what the head knows and what the heart believes. If we were to do a theological survey today and we were to walk around the room and we were to ask how many of you believe God to be powerful, and you would say, yes, I I believe God to be powerful. How many of you believe God to be strong? Yeah, absolutely. How many of you believe God to be great? Absolutely. But when it comes to Tuesday morning at the workplace and you find yourself with a challenge, we so often don't run to God. We underestimate what God can do with so little. And so in that moment, we we live with this gap. And Tim Chester writes about the fact closing that gap is the process of sanctification, where what our head knows and what our heart believes becomes more parallel. They they become more uh, similar to each other, that there's no longer this gap. That gap is shrinking because not only do we know it, but we really believe it. And we really believe that God is all-powerful. But I'm wondering how often the things we say we believe, the things we sing about, I think about this morning, we sing about in Christ alone. He's our cornerstone. It says, on solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm, here in the power of Christ I stand. And I'm just wondering, like in that moment where we feel like we're walking through the storms of life, when we're feeling like everything around us is in turmoil, do we really, our head knows, We really do believe that Christ is a place where I can stand, where I can have a sure footing, where I can be an anchor. But I don't know, sometimes my heart doesn't believe. But I want to tell us today in John chapter 6, I believe that this passage is going to begin illustrating for us what it looks like. And it's simple. When we think about Jesus feeding 5,000 and we're like, whoa, We fail to believe that he can do something that great in our lives. And so my hope this morning, as we move into John chapter 6, we're going to see this on display. We're going to see God take one little can of Barbasol and figure out how to spread it amongst 5,000 people. All right, it's going to be amazing. We're going to learn from the disciples in this this text, because in many ways, we're like the disciples, and we, we stand there and go like, I don't know. I mean, even if you had 200 denarii, we couldn't even feed this amount of people. We're going to be like the skeptics in this passage that are only following Jesus because of the signs. We don't really want Jesus for who Jesus is. We're just following Jesus because he feeds our bellies. And that's why this crowd is is seeking him and following him. And my hope is this morning is that in conclusion, we will be moved to greater belief in Jesus, that it would move us to a posture of belief saying nothing is impossible. While we say we believe, how often our lives follow the patterns of the skeptics. And so I'm, I'm hoping that we'd be moved to belief this morning and that this belief in Jesus being great will have great implications for all of our lives. We're going to read in chapter 6, 1 through 5. Here's where it begins after this. And so we're turning a corner here in, in John chapter 6. We're turning from this scene that happened 
at the pool of Bethesda where Jesus was confronted. He just healed a man. And it's important to remember that because that's going to surface in this text. The reason people are following Jesus, the reason people are running after Jesus is the text tells us, it says, because they saw the signs. And so Jesus heals this man who's been paralyzed for 38 years. And it says, after this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd was following him because they saw the sign that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? John is, is very descriptive, and I'm, I'm thankful for John's writings because John really helps us understand the setting. He really brings us into the scene. He lets us know what is happening. He talks about it's at the Passover. We're going to talk about that this morning. He talks about why people are following him. We can almost see the scene of Jesus kind of pulling up onto a hillside and seeing this crowd of 5,000 people. If we, we read throughout the gospel accounts, we're going to see that this apart from the resurrection, is the only miracle that appears in all of the synoptic gospels. Synoptic means that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four gospels. So this is the only miracle, apart from the resurrection, that we see in all four gospels. And so there, it's interesting. You can pull, you're going to see the similarities, and you're going to see differences in each of the writers as they saw this situation unfold. And so many would believe that this 5,000 was only men. It wasn't including women and children that are there. And so it's, it's, it's said to believe that this is a crowd of 20,000 people that are walking towards Jesus, and he's sitting there with the disciples. And for some reason, I love this picture, Jesus feels like it's, it's a, we should feed these people. I love that. People get hungry, right? It's important. They didn't have McDonald's nearby, Jersey Mike's. They couldn't just run and grab a sandwich. They're traveling out in the midst of the wilderness. And here they come upon Jesus. And Jesus says, hey, we should feed these folks. And so it's important to kind of see this scene, see how this scene is unfolding. It's important to understand why they're called signs and not miracles. We know that this is uh, something that is particular to John's writing. John doesn't call them miracles because miracles are meant to gaze at the miracle of themselves, and they're not meant to point to something. A sign is meant to point to something, right? A sign says, hey, this city is in 30 miles, and so it tells us it's pointing to what's ahead. We see signs as we drive down the street that show us and give us evidence, hey, here's where that, that business location is. And so signs are meant to point to something, and that's what's key about John's writing. John writes in a way, and he says that all of these events are not meant to cause us to praise the event in and of themselves. And so when we read this story of 5,000 being fed, there's some that would be like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. And we, we so get caught up in the, the miraculous that we fail to see what they point to. And so John is very specific in the fact that he goes, it's not the miracle that we want to draw the attention to. We want to draw the attention to Jesus. 
And so one scholar says, this is done, and here's why it's done, to recast the function of Jesus' works beyond their miraculous nature to point to Jesus' messianic identity. They're meant to point us to Jesus. They're meant to, to draw us into the nature and character of who Jesus is. Why are they following him? Not because he's Jesus. They're following him because they saw him perform some miraculous works. And so what you're going to see all throughout John's gospel is kind of a, a, a recap here is we're going to see several different miracles take place. We saw Jesus turning water into wine at Cana. We saw that in John chapter 2. And ultimately, we, we see that as a sign pointing to Jesus that Jesus is the Messiah who came to restore spiritually barren Israel. He came to rework their religious traditions. In John chapter 2, we see Jesus clear the temple where he comes in and he flips over these tables. And what's it pointing to? That Jesus' body will be destroyed and on the third day he'll be raised again. He'll, he'll resurrect from the grave. We see Jesus heal the, the, the centurion's son who was sick. And we see that Jesus came not to bring, we're going to see that in our text today, Jesus doesn't come just for the physical, Jesus is more concerned for the spiritual. That's what we're going to get into in this text, that Jesus uses this, this means of feeding and, and helping satiate a desire that exists in all of us, hunger, and he goes, there's a greater hunger than this. There's a spiritual hunger in every person. They long to know me. They long and, and, and need me to feed them. And so we see this over and over and over again. All the signs that are presented are meant to point us beyond the, the very sense of going like, man, that's cool. Jesus fed 5,000 people. What's it mean? What's it pointing to? John is going to describe, and he's going to get to, to later uh, sections that we're going to touch on today. And he's going to describe, here's what, they miss it. Because even later on, they actually come back and they, they ask him and they said, hey, uh, would you give us a sign? In verse 30, it says, then what sign do you do that we may believe you? And he's like, were you not there? I just fed 5,000 people with a few barley loaves and some fish. You're wanting another sign. You're just sinking the signs. You're not looking for Jesus. And so... John is really pointing people to Jesus. Now, another thing that happens, this is happening during Passover. This is key. John gives us this description because it says the Passover is at hand. What's interesting is these Jewish people who are reading this, their mind is going to jog back to the Passover in Exodus chapter 11 and Exodus 12. And then they're going to be led right out of Exodus chapter 12 where Moses comes in and Moses says, hey, come follow me and like, I'm going to take you to the promised land. And where do they go? Into the desert, wilderness, right? They're out in the wilderness and what do they begin to do? They grumble. They get upset, and they're like, what in the world? You brought us out here to kill us. And what's interesting is, it says in Exodus chapter 16, verse 4, it says, then the Lord said to Moses, behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. Now, what, what was the test? The test was, we would all be tempted to gather more than we need for that day, right? We would be sent out, and we're out in the middle of the wilderness. Again, 
You know, this is a different culture. We can't stop in the fast food restaurant. How are we going to survive out here? We're having to trust the Lord to provide for us every single day. And so this is drawing back images. It's drawing back pictures to Exodus where the Israelites were headed out and it's raining down bread from heaven. This is amazing. But this was meant to just be a foreshadow of what Jesus is coming to do. And even here, This is Jesus foreshadowing ultimately how he's going to satisfy every single desire in your life. It goes back, if we go back to woman at the well, what does he said? He said, this water, you'll come, you'll drink of it, and you will be what? Thirsty again. You're going to be thirsty again, but I have water that will cause you to never thirst. And he has bread here that he's coming to bring that will cause you to never hunger. And they're going to say, give us this bread. And they miss it because they're still caught in the physical, not the spiritual. And so we see in this text all of these pictures, these kind of similarities that point us back to the the Israelites leaving in Exodus. And we see so many similarities between Moses and Jesus. And in fact, in one of Moses' final speeches, he says in Deuteronomy 18.15, we read this last week, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. This is Moses saying that. He said, there's going to be somebody who comes and he's going he's to look like me. He's going to be a prophet and he's going to come from among you, from your brothers. It's him you shall listen. We saw in early chapters in John, John said that just like Moses lifted up the serpent, that Jesus is going to be lifted up. He's going to be. And so we see all these pictures of, of Jesus as illustrated, a typology of Moses. And we see this kind of pointing forward. Everything that's happening in the life of Moses is pointing forward to Jesus, but they're going to miss it. They're, they're going to totally miss what's, what's happening here. And so you know, we see Moses leading people out of slavery. Jesus is leading people out of slavery. Je- Moses is leading people to a promised land. Jesus is leading people to the promised land. Jesus is leading people to eternal life. And so we see this picture, and it's meant to draw them back. Why? Because they're unbelievers, And they're looking and they're going, man, we're looking for this prophet. We're looking for this man that they love Moses and and they believe in Moses. And they look back and they go, Moses promised that there would one day come a prophet. And he's, he's doing this during the Passover. All of these pictures is to help move them to belief, to move them to a point where they go, you're it. You're the one that Moses prophesied about. You're the one. Here's the other thing I would say, the setting. Jesus had an attractional ministry. People wanted to follow Jesus, right? I hope our ministry, our community would be attractional. I I love that picture of going, multitudes desired and longed to follow Jesus. They wanted to see what he was up to. I hope and pray that the miraculous would happen in our church, that, that the miraculous would happen, not for the sense that the attention would be drawn here, but be pointed to Jesus, that people would see and know Jesus. Here's the second thing I want you to see this morning. We all need Jesus. We all need Jesus. Why are they seeking Jesus? I think it's interesting. I mean, just looking for the signs, just looking, what is it that they really are needing? And I don't even think that they know. And I think sometimes we don't know. How often we just, we really don't know what we need. And so we grab for everything. And we're like, I, I need this, and I need this, and I need this. And, and we just sense there is a hunger 
that exist within us. And we're looking, we're looking for something. I believe if you're here this morning, there's a sense of going, I mean, you came, there, there's a sense in which you're looking for something this morning. You're, you're here because you want to hear, you want, you want to know, you want to experience what it looks like for, to, to have something fill your life, to be satisfied for once. And once we get a taste of Jesus, we can... We cannot have enough. Jesus is the supplier of all of our needs. We all need Jesus. I think in just a simple way, I think about the last few weeks, I've just had trouble sleeping. And I feel like I've, I've tried so many different things, adjusting pillows and mattresses and everything else and doing all. And I, I, as I was studying this text this week, I was like, it brought me to a point of desperation. I'm going, hey, I don't. I don't know what to do. And I just prayed. And I, in, a, in a very, I, I just, I, I want to explain in a testimony of the Lord. I just go, God, I need your help to sleep. Like something that comes so natural, I, I need your help to be able to rest. And how often so many of us think God has so many other important things that he has to accomplish in this world. Why does he care about my sleep? But he does. See, there's a gap that exists between what the head knows and the heart believes. And I had the best sleep ever. The Lord met me in that moment. The Lord satisfied me in that moment. What Jesus talks about in this passage is, and what he's going to get to in later weeks, as we, is there's a physical hunger in all of us. And that physical hunger, the fact that we have to keep coming back and having to be fed, is meant to point to a deeper reality. That's how we are spiritually. That there, there is a spiritual hunger that exists in all of us. Why are they seeking Jesus? They have a spiritual hunger. In verse 26, it says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves, do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. And so he uses this idea of physical hunger and spiritual hunger. And he's like, hey, you're following me because your bellies are full. But I can do more than fill your bellies. I can satisfy your soul. That's what it says in verse 33 and 34. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven, and he gives life to the world. And they said, sir, give us this bread. We want that. How many of us think you have a need? As we sit here and as we approach noon, we're starting to get hungry. We know we, that, that need exists, but how many of us truly understand our spiritual need? That there is a spiritual hunger that exists in us. And I love what Jesus does here with Philip is he leads us to places of despair to show us and reveal that need. If you're here today and you're experiencing a sense of need and you're going like, man, I'm in despair. It could be 
that that is the very thing that God is trying to develop in you. Why does he ask Philip? Why does he include Philip? It already says he knows what he's going to do, but he wants to reveal to him how incomparably small his resources are. Philip, what are we going to do? How are we going to feed all these people? And he's like, I know what I'm going to do. Jesus knows what he's going to do. Jesus knows how he's going to do it. But he wants Philip to come to a place where Philip sees his need and goes, there's no way we can do this. There's no way we can, we can satisfy, satisfy this. And so the idea is there, do we, do we truly know our need? The second thing I want you to see in this text is when things don't add up, Jesus has the power to multiply. That's something we should remember. When things don't add up, how many times, we just got to a point, I'm like, man, things just don't add up. The budget doesn't add up. The resources just don't add up. Philip is a mathematician, right? So he looks upon the crowd. And he's like, okay, we got, you know, that, that guy, you know, if we multiply and we got, you know, if you had one denarii, if you had, and he's like, it would take more than eight months wages to be able to feed these people. And it's like, great. Philip's a math nerd right? Like he's got it all figured out. He knows. He, he comes to this point. He sees this sense of need. And I love that. Jesus loves to bring us to places where things don't add up. Verse 6, it says, he said this to test him, for he knew himself, knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii wouldn't, worth of bread would not buy enough for each of them to get a little. Things didn't add up. Philip's sitting there going, I, I don't know how we're going to do this. I don't know how, you know, I, and I know that this may seem obvious. We read this text and go, when things don't add up, Jesus multiplies. That's awesome. I believe that. I believe he can do that. But here is Philip, days after we just saw a man who was crippled for 38 years, get up and walk, and we saw Jesus do that, but here in this situation, we're like, I don't know. I don't think he can do it. How easy it is for us to forget. How many of us see the miraculous hand of God and we go, oh my gosh, like you would not believe what God has done, how God has provided, how God is sufficient. And then we find ourselves two days later and we're like, I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know how we're going to make it. And so in so many ways, we're just like Philip. We forget he can do anything. He can take what is so little and he can multiply it. What Philip says is we don't have enough. And Jesus is like, you're correct. We don't have enough. And when you don't have enough, Jesus is enough. But Jesus doesn't just want us to know that he's powerful. He wants us to participate in that. And so he shows us our need because it's not just about meeting your needs, but he's wanting you to trust him. He's wanting, he's, he's out to teach you something. He's out to show you. He wants to know how incomparably small the resources you have and the miraculous resources he has at his disposal. And he wants you to show so it would build trust in you. I think back to early this year. When things don't add up. And I remember sitting in our lobby out there with our pastors. And we felt 
so confident that, that God had moved us to this place. But the financial resources didn't add up. I remember sitting with the owners of this complex and them, and they're like, hey, we want someone to be a personal guarantor on the loan. And I'm like, I'm not personal guaranteeing the loan. You know, like, hey, we're, we're, we are who we are. This is what we have in our budget. And, and it's like, well, we're going to have to dig into your finances. I was like, here's our finances. This is all we got. And they're like, it doesn't add up. And I'm like, yeah, I know it doesn't add up. I don't know. God told us to come here. We feel like we're supposed to be here. And I remember sitting there with the pastors, and I personally had experienced weeks of fear and weeks of having that gospel gap between what my head knows and heart believes. But I felt like I had come to a place of faith and believed that God was going to provide. Our other pastors, not so much in that moment. And I remember just confidently sharing, God will provide, God will provide, God will provide. I wasn't there three weeks before that. And I remember there was a th- about a two to three week break between that meeting and a following meeting where Josh Opp, who is the mathematician of our elder team, he's an accountant, and someone who crunching the numbers and looking at the math goes, it doesn't add up. But he stood here at this podium in front of our Church of the Valley family members. And he's like, I want to testify that somehow God multiplied it. What doesn't add up, and when it doesn't add up, Jesus has the power to multiply. And we saw the hand of God move through multiple things. We believed God had called us here. And financially, it didn't make sense. Financially, it was risky. When we were back at Foothill, I told you things don't add up. It was a step of faith. And I want to testify. And I heard Josh, and I love it because I felt like all of our pastors, what it was in that moment, we had to come to a place of need. And we sat in our pastoral meeting, and we were moved to a place of going, it doesn't add up. We got to see it doesn't add up. And then we got to see God's hand multiply. And I think he did that to grow our faith. Your pastors need their faith stretched, right? And we forget. We move into February and we forget again. And he wants to stretch us. He moves us to another place of need. He moves us to another moment where we have to go, I need you. It doesn't add up. Where have you been in your life where it doesn't add up? Jesus has met our needs. Jesus has provided for Church of the Valley. Jesus has been generous. And that hasn't happened just out of the blue. It's happened out of the generosity because God has moved in your hearts, in the hearts of people even outside of our congregation, in the hearts of people as far away as Texas. And they're like, we want to give to this. We want to support this. And that's the next point. What we see in this is It's not just coming and going like standing idly by. We actually have a role to play. And so we're thankful for this small boy who comes and whatever we have, whether it was taken from him, whether Andrew's like, I don't know, let's borrow this guy's. And the guy was like, hey, not mine, you know? Like, but at some point, I don't believe that Jesus snatched it from him. But I think that in some ways, he entrusted what he had to Jesus. You entrust what you have. And it may seem like so little at the moment, 
We entrust what we have, and Jesus multiplies it. I love this picture, if you read in this text, because you got to draw back to the Passover and see how Jesus supersedes Moses' ministry. Because what were they told to collect? Just enough each day. Just enough to satisfy their daily desire. And what do they have here? They have an abundance. It says, as much as they wanted, until they had eaten their fill. I love this. It was just a picture of what Jesus comes to bring is not just enough. Jesus comes to bring an abundance. Jesus comes to, he's not rationing. Jesus is no longer, he's come just to lavish good gifts. And I love this about this text because Jesus could show, he could do a thousand different other miracles to prove his messianic identity. But how does he do it? in a way that brings pleasure to us. He brings it through bread. Now, I know there are some here that are like, dude, really? A whole chapter on bread? I'm gluten-free, all right? One day, Jesus is going to redeem that, okay? And and we're no longer going to struggle, all right? Amen? Amen. That's that's the hope of the resurrection. He's going to restore our bodies. And that's what I I love about this picture. Everything we have is meant to be assigned. Every good gift comes from him. And so he brings this this picture of food, something that we're meant to enjoy and find pleasure in, something that that is meant to, to satisfy us. And we're like, oh, that's so good. But it's not meant to just relish in that thing that's so good. It's meant to point us, Jesus is even better. I love that. But are you willing to entrust what you have to him? The fact that this young boy has barley loaves shows that like this isn't, you know, the best of bread. Talk about like a flat pancake, like hard. This this boy's poor. But he brings what little he has and entrusts it to Jesus. I love what, what Andrew, he's like, I don't know. I, I just I, th- I feel like he's the innocent bystander, you know. Phillips over there, mathematician. I don't think you know. Eight months' wages isn't going to satisfy this. And Andrew's like, I don't know. There's a guy over here. It's got five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they? Well, in the hands of God, there's something great. What are they? I think that question is how the enemy s- seeks to attack us so often. We think of our resources and go like, what? It, what can I do? You think about the gifts you have. You think about the resources you have. You think about the financial things you have. You think about the stuff that you have. And you're like, what are they? Well, in the hands of God, there's something great. God can use everything you have to bless and be a resource to advance his kingdom. But so often we, we think about, what, what do I really have to offer? What do I have? The enemy wants you to believe you don't have anything. I think about how often we pray that our neighbors would come to Jesus, but we never go across the street. We have a role to play. I have to offer up my voice. I don't know what, it, what, I'm, what I'm to say. I don't know even how to speak or proclaim about the gospel, but I long for my neighbor to know Jesus. And like, well, what do I have? Well, I have lips and I have a tongue and I can go and I'm like, God, you gotta do something. You gotta multiply. You gotta work through that. Jesus' purpose here is to teach 
Philip and his disciples that he can use them. Some of the other gospel accounts say that he actually distributes all of the baskets to the disciples, and the disciples are the ones who are walking around serving. You can almost imagine as they're doing this, like, where is all this coming from? I I love the picture. Like, we don't know where Jesus multiplied. It says that Jesus prayed and gave thanks. But at some point, they're over there like Mary Poppins' suitcase, and just they just keep pulling out stuff, you know? It's like bread, food, and, and they're just going over and over, and it's just an abundance. And you can imagine the look on their face of what they're able to do. So what's your five loaves and two fish? What do you have that you can bring to God as an offering? God wants to use you, your things, your possessions, your stuff, to bless others. I think about, there's several folks that come to mind. I think about people who moved here, who moved to Salt Lake City, um, and not talking to, I'm not talking about myself here. I'm talking about people who've given up a lot of things. They've put up, they've taken what they had. They put them in the hands of Jesus. They moved their life to be here on mission. They didn't come for a job. They didn't come because there was family here. They didn't come because there's mountains and they love to be in the outdoors. They came here for Jesus. They took all that they have. They put it in the hands of Jesus. And here's what I know to be true about that. As Jesus has multiplied those efforts, Jesus has satisfied them. They took what they had. I don't know. I have a life. I got legs that move. I got arms. I got a mouth. I I just want to be a tool that you can use, God. Like, help me be a resource. But so often the enemy says, what are they for so many? I think about our church. We look across the valley There's 3 million people in the state of Utah. Almost 2 million of those live right here in this valley. We look at Church of the Valley, 150 people. We go, what are they for so many? Well, that's exactly where the enemy wants us to be, but it's exactly where Jesus wants us to be because Jesus wants us to go, in that moment, we need him. And we need to offer up what we have to him. Jesus talked about little faith. He said, with faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. It's just little faith. What could he do with a little boldness? What could he do with a little resources? What could he do with a, a heart that has little mission engagement? I'm just saying, like, we just offer what little we have and say, here it is. I entrust it to you. Charles Spurgeon says this, Now, I dare say that some of you have had Satan say unto you, what is the use of your trying to do anything? To you, dear mother, with family of children, he has whispered, you cannot serve God. He knows very well that by sustaining grace, you can. And he is afraid of how well you can serve God if you bring up those dear children in his fear. He says to the peddler of books over yonder, he kind of looks at someone who has an insignificant job, And he says, you have not much ability. What can you do? Ah, dear friend, he is afraid of what you can do. 
And if only you will only do what you can do, God will by and by help you to do what now you cannot do. But the devil's afraid of even the little that you can do now. And many a child of God seems to side with Satan in despising the day of small things and say, what are they among so many? So I want to encourage you. When you think about what, what can I really do? I'm just a mom. I'm just a dad. I'm just a young professional. I'm just, I'm just a dude. And that's exactly where the enemy wants you to be. But when we entrust our lives and say, I just want to be faithful, and I give to the Lord, Lord, this is what I have. That's where he works. That's where he moves. The last thing I want to point out is Jesus is the greater Moses, greater Moses and the greater provider. It ends up in this passage that he says, gather up the leftover fragments. If you like leftovers is in the Bible here. So if you're into leftovers, you, you align with scripture. I'm, anybody not like leftovers? Come on. Some of us. It's like five of us. Y'all like leftovers. That's good. All right. Well, there's leftovers here. So they gathered them up and they filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who's come into the world. And so they recognize him. Verse 15, though, what did they want to do with him? Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So what's happening here? These people are coming, they're gathering, they recognize him as a prophet, but they begin to use Jesus for their own means. They begin to use Jesus for their own purposes. They're making Jesus out to be who they want them to be. And Jesus has come to reveal himself, but he's come to reveal himself for a very specific purpose and a very specific mission. And what he does is he stops or he pauses or he ceases the, the, the enthusiasm of the would-be kingmakers. He's like, whoa, 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 I, I need to pull away. I will not be forced to, to become the God of your imagination. I'm the God of revelation. I'm the God who's come to reveal myself. This is who I've, I am. And the, the person you're making me out to be, to be this military warrior who's coming in to free us from Roman oppression. Um, that's, that's not what. I'm not going to be that king. And I will not be used just for your selfish means. Jesus wants to use us for his means to accomplish his purposes. And I love this quote one scholar said, and I want you to read along and in closing we'll wrestle with this. It says, he who is already king has come to open his kingdom to men, but in their blindness, men try to force him to be the kind of king they want. Thus, they fail to get the king they want and also the kingdom he offers. My question to us as you read that, what are we failing to receive because we've forced Jesus to be the God of our imagination rather than the God who's been revealed to us in Scripture? What have we failed to receive because of our small view of Jesus and what Jesus can truly accomplish? 
We want him to do our purposes, but rather than totally coming and surrendering our life to his will and saying, Jesus, my life is, is in your hands. I'm here to serve your purposes. I'm her, he, here to grow your kingdom and advance your kingdom, not my kingdom. Not my glory, your glory. I've come to advance your glory. I've come to advance your name, not our name, not the Israelites' name. Not America's name, not Justin Bendel's name. We're here for him. And so Jesus comes and he invites you. He says, Will you trust me? Will you believe in the power that I have to multiply? Will you allow the signs of the miraculous to point you to me? We should never underestimate the power of God to do so much with so little. And my prayer is that that statement, that that would be true, that that would, the implications that we would not underestimate the power of God to do so much with so little. Would you believe that this week? The point of the sign, as we've already read, is that Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. Jesus is all we need. Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. That's why we're here today. If you're here today, you've never trusted in Jesus, you're not a follower of Jesus, maybe you've been a sideline skeptic. Today, trust in Jesus. Today is the day of salvation. Today, you can commit your life to him. Today, we can all know the bread from heaven who gives us life. Let's pray together. Father, I pray this morning that you would help us see your power, the miraculous, your work, It hasn't ceased. It's still available. It's still working today. Lord, if we'll come to you, if we'll recognize our need for you, if we'll come to a place that says, what are they for so many? And that we wouldn't believe the lie of Satan this morning, but we would believe the truth of scripture that says, God, you can do much with little. When things don't add up, you multiply. There's a lot of things that don't add up in our life. There's a lot of things in this world that are broken. There's a lot of things that people are wrestling with and struggling with this morning. There are people in this room who look and they go, man, my finances don't add up. There are people in the room who look at relationships and it's like, man, we're just not connecting. We're missing each other. We're, we're struggling. It's just not adding up. There are people here today who are looking for purpose or looking for significance and they're searching and searching and searching and still not finding. Lord, you've given us this text not just to meet our physical hunger and, and show us that you meet our needs on a daily basis. But Lord, you've given us this text to show us and point us that all of us have a spiritual hunger that can only be satisfied by you. 
So Lord, I pray that you would show us and reveal to us this morning those things in our life that we're looking to, that we're believing in, that we're trusting in to satisfy us like bread and water 